The city of St. Louis is dealing with a lot of complicated issues right now. That includes getting crime under control and figuring out whether it's a good idea to have a private operator run the St. Louis airport. Alderwoman Sarah Martin has a lot to say about the city's immediate concerns and pathway to the future. The 11th Ward Democrat joins us on the latest edition of Politically Speaking, so let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in studio is my co-host for the day. Rachel Lippman. And returning to the show for the first time since 2017... Uh, my former University of Missouri-Columbia classmate and the alderwoman for the 11th Ward in St. Louis. Sarah Martin. Thank go you. Tigers. Go Tigers. And, I'm uh, indifferent. <laughs> and go Oklahoma, too. Yes. We talked, a lot, about, we, we talked a lot about it, your Oklahoma roots on the last show. I'm not going to uh, belabor that point. <laughs> Lots going on in the city of St. Louis right now. We haven't had an alder person on in a while. I want to just start off with a pretty basic question. What do you think the state of the city of St. Louis is right now for a policymaker like you? Uh, I think uh, crime uh, overrides everything right now. That's certainly what I hear, whether it's uh, speeding, which is probably the number one thing I hear. Um, I had a child uh, gunned down in my ward and then another child gunned down a block away. So um, really, uh, gun violence is leading uh, the conversation. Uh, But uh, I think that it's uh, not the most organized place right now. What's the biggest example that you see of of just kind of not being organized and and what's driving that? What I see is, and just especially in my ward, I see a sort of lack in uh, faith of just even basic services. And I don't know if that is because the whole argument of there are more important things right now, like children being gunned down, uh, a drug epidemic, if we're just stretched so thin. Uh, or if we're really uh, not uh, delivering, uh, if we're not organized enough to uh, to meet the citizens' needs right now, um, I certainly the number one thing people want um, is seeing more police. And I don't know if that's because we truly are short, or if that's because we are not. I, I sort of see a lack of creativity right now. In okay, this is where we are. Uh, this is the hand we're dealt. Let's figure out um, what we can do with that. I think one of the reasons someone like you is in such a difficult position is even if you get the brunt of ordinary citizen complaints about crime, aldermen don't have a lot of control over the police department. It is primarily the role of the mayor. And Mayor Kersen ran for office in 2017 promising to bring safety to neighborhoods. And a lot of people feel like she has not come close to succeeding in that rhetorical goal. So how do you deal with that dynamic dynamic that you get a lot of the blame, but the mayor is responsible for a lot of the crime prevention? 
it's certainly difficult uh, even to convey that to citizens. Uh, I think that they believe that we make decisions um, for the the police department. I, I first, I want to say I, I do think just the mayor's history with gun violence, um, and she is a citizen in the city. And I try to remind people too: I'm your neighbor. I live here, so I, I see the same uh, same things. But we don't. And what I see time and time again, every almost every week at some neighborhood meeting is folks will go on and on uh, about the lack of police presence or uh, issues they have with the police department. And then when the police walk in, it's time to talk to them. They will not convey those same grievances to the police. And it is a strange dynamic. Um, but there needs to probably, if, if there is, if the, if the citizens have policing or issues with the police, then I think they really should show up to those quarterly meetings. Uh, the captains have quarterly meetings in most districts. I know we had a large first and second district meeting, and I think three 11th Ward residents showed up. Now, I understand I've got kids, jobs, you know, husband travels. I get it. It's hard to get to evening meetings. But if you really want to see a change, then you've got to show up to those. And real quick, for those listeners who may not know, you mentioned the mayor's history with gun violence. Her first husband was the uh, victim of a fatal gun, uh, carjacking where the, the uh, perpetrator shot and killed her husband in front of her and her kids. I Correct. Believe. So yes. just just so people have that that understanding of, of what you meant when you said the, the mayor's personal history with gun violence. As far as police presence go. At the early part of Mayor Cruson's term, there was a sales tax increase that was passed specifically to increase the amount of police and to increase police pay. That's in addition to another sales tax that passed before both you and Mayor Cruson came into office that increased the sales tax for presumably Metrolink. But the use tax also went up, and that could also go toward crime prevention. Correct. And was, I think quarters, part of it was slated off for specifically public safety purposes. So I think a, a reasonable question that a lot of money was raised through tax increases for public safety. Why isn't there any benefit from that being seen on the ground? Well, regionally and across the nation, uh, police departments are having trouble recruiting. So there's that. Uh, But also, one thing I think no one really wants to talk about is why our department specifically might have trouble with recruitment and recruitment of quality officers. Sure, pay is one thing. Now we do have, my understanding is a pretty good benefits package. I don't know how many 25-year-olds are thinking about their pensions. Um, But with the social media posts that have come out, and I understand, I mean, I work with some fantastic officers, but there's just no denying that there is a presence in that police department um, between the the racist um, social media posts. There have been... um, posts that have surfaced uh, attacking one of my colleagues uh, or uh, attacking verbally, but also a little insinuation of violence. Um, and then also uh, their their own leadership. And I think truly, if the police department wants to uh, extend an olive branch and uh, also they want to start recruiting, they are going to have to truly do their best. And um, that probably will take some really quality officers stepping up to the plate and uh, talking about what their, um, basically their PR issue is. I I think you and I have known Jeff Rorta probably longer than most people. I knew him when he was a state house member. You used to work in the state house and your husband served with Jeff Rorta in the state house. I, I don't doubt that a lot of his passion is, is legitimate because he does come from a law enforcement background, but some of me, feels like a lot of it's performative. 
and a lot of it is to get attention, and it's not actually, like, what he believes. Do you have a theory about I, that? I, I think so. I think that, um, I, you know, Jeff was a talented legislator um, for that reason. I mean, he could get up and talk about any bill, um, and I enjoyed working with him on a lot of legislation. But it's disturbing to me, the Facebook post and some of the public comments, um, that this is what our police department wants and, and what strikes me, too, is that there is a real potential cost to the city of some of the stuff that is going on with the police department, not only just the, the as you mentioned, issues with recruiting, but since the transition to local control in 2013, the state's no longer paying legal bills, legal settlements, et cetera. Um, there's a lot of lawsuits out there. I can't remember what the last count is, but some big ones, big constitutional ones, where it falls on the city to pay whatever settlement is out there. And if you want to talk about, like you mentioned, the lack of faith in basic services, how much money you may have to put into settling these lawsuits has got to be at least in the back of some people's minds raising alarms, I would hope. Right. No, we hear that a lot. Um, I can't rattle off the numbers, uh, but no, I certainly hear that a lot. And, you know, in a city where we're stretched thin, it's just like your house. Every little dime matters. Well, let's transition to some issues that are probably going to come up over the next few weeks and months. I want to talk about airport privatization first, because it's looking more and more likely that if the Board of Estimate and Apportionment approves some bid to have a private operator operate Lambert Airport, the Board of Aldermen is going to be the final arbiter. I don't think this is going to go to a citywide vote. I think that every indication seems that it's going to be in the Board of Aldermen's uh, purview. So that's probably going to be one of the most important decisions you make as an alder person. So I'd be interested to hear how you're approaching it. My concern from the get-go, I think, is shared with all of the folks that I work with, and that is, um, you know, the whole RFP process is just, I don't think it's kosher. And I, it, I, I don't have a problem with looking at some alternatives. I don't have a problem with public-private partnerships, but I just don't trust this process. And I feel like I'm pretty level-headed about it. It's not because it's necessarily, you know, Rex Sinkfeld uh, proposal, but it's not something I necessarily trust. And I think that, I mean, I haven't had one constituent that says, yes, please uh, support this. But I've had a lot of emails that say that are, people are just concerned. They want to vote on it. How much do you think that possibility of a huge infusion of cash, given everything that we've talked about with the city budget so far, is just going to become too tempting to a lot of people to want to slice and dice and make deals and say, well, I'll support it if I get a chunk for X, Y, and Z pet project. And that's my biggest concern is when the rubber hits the road or the runway. Haha. But if we start getting offers of this is how much can be in your award capital fund. That's scary to me. Is, is the reason why there's been kind of a push from some of your colleagues for a citywide vote is there's not confidence that you can get 15, 16, 17 older people to say, we're not going to do the, we're not going to do airport privatization. This process needs to just end. Is that why there's I think been- it's, a, it's a combination. There's there are people who truly believe I think this should go to a public vote. Um, and then there are people who don't want to take that tough vote, I'm sure. Um, and then there are also the folks that 
and there's nothing wrong with this to say, hey, I don't think we got the votes to say no to this or to defeat it. So let's send it to the public. I guess it has. you have to see what the plan is before you say yes or no. But right. at this point, it doesn't seem like you would vote yes on this from, from what you've said. Is that fair to say? I will certainly take – I've listened to anyone who's wanted to come talk to me. I will certainly look at any proposal. I think that, you know, there can be – there's opportunity here, but I am very cautious. On a hypothetical here, what would have to be, not details, but just what would have to be in a proposal for you to say, this is something I could support protection-wise, um, you know, working-wise? What, what, what is a deal breaker for you in a proposal? Certainly, I do want to uh, look out for the employees there. And I want to make sure that they still have the same, the be- same benefits, representation. Um, but... For me, it, it will ultimately come down to the numbers. Is this smart? Is the money, this cash infusion that we're supposedly getting, is that going to uh, outweigh any potential that our airport has? Another issue that you've been personally working on is trying to have prevailing wages for, I guess, city incentivized projects, basically? It- yes, uh, so, you know, we talk a lot about um, the city over incentivizing projects or in certain areas. And what we don't talk about a lot is our uh, local employees, our local contractors. And when we incentivize these projects, are our uh, local contractors able to bid competitively against someone from maybe even out of the country? And are we also uh, taking care of our local workforce? Are they? I believe um, these jobs are uh, they're they're difficult. They're uh, it requires a trained workforce, and are they getting uh, fairly compensated? This is also we're talking about uh, local folks. You know, this can also increase the earnings tax or anyone working in the city on a project. I, I think I mentioned this because I was at a county council meeting last night. We're recording this on Wednesday. This will probably be posted on Thursday. And the county council passed a prevailing wage legislation with only one member opposing it, which means two Republicans voted for it, Tim Fitch and Ernie Trankis. But I've got the sense it's been a lot harder in the city, which is 100 percent Democratic and has a mayor who was supported by organized labor in 2017. And organized labor happens to be the biggest supporter of prevailing wage. Why hasn't this been able to make it through with the ease as it is in the county? There are a couple things. One, I do believe it could be done by executive order. Um, And the TIF Commission actually put this into place uh, by resolution a couple weeks ago. So that certainly uh, helps me out. But the uh, one thing, uh, Alderman Kennedy, I believe back in uh, 2013, had a bill that had to do with uh, minority uh, workforce. And I hope I'm not getting these backwards. And then Jeffrey Alderman Jeffrey Boyd had a bill in 2017, maybe 2018, uh, that had to do with minority contract numbers. So that sounds that sounds right. But the problem is they haven't been combined on the books, so it's been a little difficult with drafting. Um, but it's it's complicated, and you also have um, some opponents that say this could hinder development in certain areas if developers have to pay more. Studies prove time and time again that that is just uh, not the case, that uh, the, con- the, or the developer and the contractor are going to make the same amount of money. It's just whether or not you know they make the money off the backs of the workers or not. And before we move into the next segment, just explain to people that may not understand what the concept of a prevailing wage is. What, what is a prevailing wage? Um, it's uh, Well, basically, it's a minimum wage for uh, construction jobs, but it, it's, it's like a little bit of a complicated formula. Uh, but 
it's uh, the basically it's the average of what each trade would make. So you combine, you know, what elevator construct or elevator workers would make um, across the state and or in the area, and then you would uh, come out with that average. And benefits package, too, which is always important. We'll be right back after this break with Alderwoman Sarah Martin. And we're back with St. Louis Alderwoman Sarah Martin. I want to talk now about uh, a topic that's on the minds of policymakers both in the city and the county. Uh, The return of the city-county merger issue through what's historically known as the Board of Freeholders. We've talked a lot about this on this show. Mayor Krusen and County Executive Page appointed 18 out of the 19 members, both at, at this point in time as we're recording, they're still going through the legislative approval process. Um, I get to go sit in a fun meeting about that when I get done with this podcast. And, and I also got to sit through a fun county meeting. I, I want to play a clip now from Mayor Krusen because I think that this kind of sets the tone for her mentality with the appointments and her entire enthusiasm for this entire freeholders process. This would not be my favorite time to establish a board of freeholders. I think there's a lot of, um, uh, there's, you know, every day there's a lot of chaos still caused by uh, the difficulties surrounding the Stanger administration. And you almost can't pick up the paper or listen to the radio any day and not hear something about that. Uh, I also think it's very close to the time that Better Together, you know, it's only been a few months, frankly, where Better Together pulled their petition. I think we'd be better off not to do the Board of Freeholders now, but that's not my choice. Uh, The Municipal League got the signatures. Uh, I now need to follow the law and appoint responsible people to have as best of an outcome as possible. I think the timing of it is poor. There's a reason I'm playing that clip beyond getting your reaction to it. I think that overall, the reaction to County Executive Page's picks has been fairly positive, even though they face very tough questioning from council people, whereas Cruson's selections have not gotten nearly as good of reviews for various reasons. And people may point to that clip and say, she's not enthusiastic about the process, so she didn't really appoint as qualified people because of that. What, what's your take on that? Well, let's look at the pool of applicants, too. And I don't think I've heard anyone say I would have preferred this person or that person. Um, I mean, I have someone in my ward that did make the cut who I thought would be uh, good just because of her um, profession and distance uh, from politics. But that's one thing. Um, you know, in these types of appointments, it's always usually have a connection or um, you're involved. I think the larger issue we were talking about before the show is what what is why didn't we get a larger pool of applicants, especially in some other areas like the north side of the city? Uh, what are the barriers there? Uh, what what were um, why do people are not educated enough about this? Or also, is it just you know uh, people like myself who just don't really have a lot of faith in this board of freeholders process and just sort of blow it off? Can you explain why you don't have a lot of faith in this process? I don't think that this would get us where we need to be. And I also think that this, the Municipal League, they are the Muni League. They represent municipalities. We happen to have a lot of them in St. Louis. And this was a reaction to Better Together saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We could do this a different way and a more representative way. 
And I don't know if this is the intentions here are to truly dissolve municipalities. The other issue is that this doesn't change the Constitution. That has to go to a, a statewide vote. And I think to really solve our problems, whether it's the courts or police departments or schools, that's going to have to go to the state. I wanted to get back to what you mentioned just a little bit ago, which was the kind of the civic engagement. When you look at the list of the people who were nominated out of the pool of, I think it was like 100 and something applicants, where are the biggest gaps that you see in the membership and the slate that she's put forward? Uh, there's lack of uh, racial diversity. But again, I think that comes down to possibly the applicants. And then, um, as we talked about before, the lack of uh, of young folks, diversity in age. And but again, you know, is that because 30 something or late 20 something folks have, um, you know, they've got kids? Um, is, I don't I don't know what the barriers were. I looked at the breakdown and I think it is actually and I can't remember if I did it for under 30 or under 40, like what the what I set the, the maximum age at. And there were about probably 60 applicants or so within that um what, and again, I can't remember if I did under 30 or under 40, but it wasn't, you know, like, oh, they only had three applicants who were under this age range. There was a there was a fair amount of um, people who, who did apply. I, I'm wondering with those gaps that you saw, um, wh- what issues are you concerned might sort of get left out of the conversation because of the lack of racial and age equity or diversity on those panels? One thing in particular, if you are... Um you know, if you are from a lower socioeconomic uh, or you're marginalized in any way, th- th- a lot of these merger issues are very important, right? I mean, I can afford, if I don't trust the school system, I can afford to send my child elsewhere. I'm fortunate in that way. Um, I can take off work uh, easily to go to daytime meetings. So that's also a barrier for folks. But the the, the issues like courts, policing, education, um, and or lack of services possibly, or if you're not in a special taxing district, are you getting as the services that other places can afford uh, to provide for themselves? That is my concern: is those folks that fall uh, fall in that um, uh, fall in that category, are they at the table to talk about these issues? And that's what a lot of these merger issues, um, they can benefit a large uh, population. And I think we have to make it clear that the Board of Freeholders and Better Together could not deal with schools. There's They can That's kind true. of work yes. around the edge. Sure, they can advocate sure. it, but they, they can't but deal with schools. But yeah. ultimately, will a merger or whatever, um, will that, right, <laughs> yeah. or whatever you want to call it, will that lead to the conversation of schools? That I don't know. At a really sort of 60,000-foot level here, is there anything that you could think of sort of off the top of your head where you see helping, you know, helping some of these wards, helping some of these communities get more civically engaged? Like what needs to happen to make them feel like they have the, they are welcome at this table and have the power? I think that's always a question of leadership and what makes a good leader. And if folks are empowered by the leadership that they have, then they will and they feel comfortable. But uh, right now, I, I'm just not seeing it. Um, and also, we're just down, we are this one party system in the city. And I think that also creates sort of a lack of engagement, because it's just the way it's always been. So do you just do away with parties? Oh, I would get in so much trouble, but I, <laughs> in the city at least. I, I mean, don't know. That, that, I, I, but yeah. that is a real proposal. It That's is a real proposal. Right yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm a party person, so it's hard. I'm pretty old school in that way, so it's hard for me to say that. Um, but 
I again, you know, th- this is just something where it's not going to change really until you have a large merger of sorts. I just don't see anything like this changing. Well, I, Mayor Cruson was a supporter of the Better Together plan, and she mentioned that the fact that Better Together gave Steve Stanger so much power and basically initially made him the unelected mega mayor, I think really soured a lot of people who, A, didn't like that concept and B, didn't like Stanger, and especially after he went to jail, didn't have a lot of confidence in the leadership of that. Do, do you, what, what do you think of that? Do you think that the, the Better Together plan and the way it presented it really is going to make it difficult to present any sort of plan from this Board of Freeholders and, and get it past the, the finish line? Again, I just don't know how altruistic the folks are that are really pushing this. And is this just something so we can say, oh, we tried? And But I, I don't necessarily think – I don't know if I agree with the mayor on that it's just completely soured uh, because of – Stanger. I mean, certainly that proposal was. And again, you can, it's proposed by the same folks that are connected to the airport. And I am uh, not attacking them individually, but I think that it's sort of always the same approach when when uh, Rex Sinkfeld is involved. It's certainly his right to approach things this way, but I don't necessarily think it's the, it's that well done when compared, when you want to look at other ballot initiatives and proposals who really reach out to the public. How much do you think whether Better Together soured people on it or they thought it was a great concept or whatever, how much do you think the fact that that plan was out there is going to, A, color how people see whatever the freeholders bring up, and B, shape what they actually propose? That whether or not you agreed with it, the idea was out there and worked itself into the conscience of people because it got talked about for so long. I don't think ever we got far enough into the Better Together process, and the whole time it was just shrouded in talk of, you know, a Stanger under investigation. And also, uh, I think one thing they've learned is you can't just say, "Oh, by the way, you never voted for this person, but they're going to represent you." So maybe that's a less one lesson learned. But I don't think that um, I don't think that it really shaped much of the conversation at all. I also think that the Board of Freeholders is a a uh, much more complicated process than just a vote. It's, it's going to be a very complicated process we're going to be following for possibly a year. For the last topic, I actually want to talk a little bit about political stuff in St. Louis County, particularly the special election in the 99th House District. The reason I'm talking about this with you is you've actually volunteered and put yourself out there for Trish Gunby, the Democratic nominee, who's running against Leanne Pittman, the Republican nominee in a a special election. And the 99th is where, Jason? It's in St. Louis County, includes places like Valley Park, Manchester, kind of southwest St. Louis County. As somebody who has been involved in Missouri Democratic politics for a while, I want you to kind of explain why you think that election is important, not only to win, but maybe for broader implications, because I think a lot of people are paying attention to it, including people in the city. There, uh, there's just so much talk about suburban women and where they are and will they flip and will they uh, take out Trump and where they are. And this is certainly an indicator. Here is a district of suburban moms. And I think that up and down the ticket, that will be telling, uh, certainly for a candidate like Auditor Galloway, who's running for governor, that if if Trish can win that seat, I certainly think that that is a feather in her cap as far as fundraising and organizing goes. As far as the city folks getting involved over there, I, I, for years I've just heard a lot of complaining that the party ignores uh, St. Louis City. Well, 
yeah, it should, because as we've been talking on the show, it's all Democrats. So why do we need to go make everyone feel good in the city about Democrats? Uh, those safe seats need to be investing in out state um, or out in the county. And if you want to change the numbers in the legislature, you have to go work in those areas. And I think there's been kind of an internal debate about whether the party should support like more conservative candidates or more moderate candidates. I talked with Trish Gunmey. I would not classify her as a conservative Democrat. She pretty much checks all the boxes that a lot of left of center city Democrats would want and is kind of running openly in a district that traditionally has elected people like Andrew Koenig and Gene Evans. She's taking the Jill Shoup route, basically. Jill Shoup did the same thing. She didn't moderate her views even though she was running in a, a not super progressive district, sure. And and I want I want to I want to men- I'm not trying to mention that to like scare people away from voting for her. I'm trying to like emphasize that this is a candidate that a lot of city people, city progressives, quote unquote, would support. Basically, yes, yeah, sure, because of uh, a lot of women's issues and uh, guns, which we'll see how that uh, turns out in the next year or so in the elections. You know, the thing about Trish, too, like Senator Shoup that you mentioned, is that uh, they're both, you know, moms committed to the community, committed to their faith. Um, And so it's a uh, it's for most people. um, I think that that's like that's a nice package. Right. It's um, you're not seeing uh, just a kind of a young radical out there, if you will. But uh, and that it's more that it is more common sense than perhaps moderates or conservatives want to say. So. We'll see. I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, what um, probably the more progressives want to see um, in a swing districts. So uh, we'll find out in November. I, I do got to ask this question, though. I, I think that Democrats are making a lot of gains in St. Louis County, especially compared to the last 10 years. But from my calculations, they can't just win the city in St. Louis County and lose in St. Charles, Jeffco, lose by 80 percent in rural Missouri like tie in Boone County. You, you and I spent time in Boone County. Boone County is getting a lot redder than it was when we were there. Well, one issue, the Senate district there is tied with uh, Cooper, not Howard, which yeah, we, we could, can we, elaborate for hours. We're, we're not going to. So my but, point is, like, it seems like they have to go beyond just St. Louis County in order yes. to, in order for someone like Nicole Galloway to win. And are Democrats really showing up out? I mean, it's a 15-minute drive for most city Democrats, are they showing up and investing out there? And if they're not, are they going to go out and invest in Cape Girardeau or wherever? Part of that, though, I believe is a population shift. Um, and so the more conservative voters have moved out to you know, St. Charles or Jefferson County. But oh, you'd have to win um, so many seats back. And with we'll see through the redistricting process, but I just don't see it right now. Well, thank you very much for joining our show, as always, for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Rachel on Twitter at? At our Lipman, two Ps, two Ns. And how can people follow you on Twitter or any other part of the World Wide Web? Sarah with an H, W. Martin. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long.